As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to On The Ball, the Norwich City podcast whose club couldn't hit a bin with an apple at the weekend. Yep, we sure can pick them after a week that featured an epic collapse, keeping cock-ups, a last-minute winner and awkward mid-air man-hugs. We didn't do a podcast, but we are returning this week after a nil-nil with Preston North End. Uh, so no goals at Carrow Road, but two clean sheets in a row as Wagner's era of pragmatism over idealism captures local hearts. And do not rub your eyes, Norwich City are three, yes, three points off the playoffs. Uh, we'll ponder whether we've just played the one team in the playoff race who are still scared of the Carrow Road aura and try and discover whether it's possible to talk about a game with no talking points. Uh, so um, in sentences you never thought you'd hear. Thank goodness for the AGM. Uh, Wingers, Pompey fans, 20% and bring back the drummer. Delia and Michael did their bit to keep the entertainment levels up off the pitch by picking up where Stuart Webber left off, but maybe didn't do their relationship with Norwich City fans a whole lot of good in the process. We'll ask if there are any holes you can't fill with a centre midfielder, attack your comments and questions and attempt to speculate on Michael's cupboard activities without descending into smut, hopefully. Um, plus, there's a small matter of an East Anglian derby to look forward to slash dread with every fibre of our being. We'll get in early to reminisce about some of the good times now, just in case it all goes a bit Alex Mathy next weekend. I'm Steve Sanders, aka at NCFC Numbers, and after we ended up improvising with chat about sudden baldness and the dangers of salad cream on last week's podcast, this panel have a lot to live up to this week. Um, first up, he's rumoured to have done a Wagner-esque touchline sprint across his landing after finding out who was booked on for this one to talk about Saturday's game. It's Dan Brigham. Uh, Dan, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Steve. Yeah, uh, how are you doing? I'm I'm well. I I some I I sometimes think of you on a Saturday night. Um, although <laughs> not in that way. I should stress. Um, and. Because obviously you have a longer journey than most of us to the game. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And just, just how you've given up your whole Saturday for <laughs> what, just, just whatever that and, was. It's just seven and a half hours to watch a, a goalless, uh, well, and well, not only a goalless draw, but sort of an inevitable goalless draw as well. I think most people saw that result coming. Yeah, it was one of those where when the uh, the board went up for injury time, it was like, does it really matter how many minutes they put up here? Uh, it's it, we, we all know how this is going to end. Well, you know, thank you for putting yourself through it, giving up your Monday evening to put yourself through it all over again. Uh, we, we do genuinely appreciate it. Um, and a, a second on-the-ball appearance for a Norwich City supporter whose previous one came um, after the death knell sounded on last season's campaign following the West Brom game. So um, hoping to catch a break soon. It's uh, Craig Draycott. Craig, uh, good to have you back. Uh, are you well? Yeah, very well. Glad to be back. Um, I only come for the good ones, apparently. So, <laughs> uh, Well, you, you may not be on the, that much more often than, uh, yeah, he, he said negatively. Um, speaking well speaking of negatives let's let's try and flip that on its head a little bit um we asked before the podcast um 
and got a rapturous response on Twitter, and I, although I may have lost all the responses that we've had, uh, reading to that what you will, um, about uh, the good memories that we've had of East Anglian derbies. Obviously, uh, we have Ipswich coming up on Saturday. We'll dive into that a little bit more later. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about some of our favourite Derby Day memories, and there have been a few over the years. Um, so yeah, please do share them in the comments with us, um, and I will try, as ever, to read as many of them out as I possibly can. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that there's a there's enough there. We should uh, should be able to find a range. Um, anyway, those are the memorable games. Uh, let's kick off headline act with uh, one that might be slightly less so. Yes, so uh, headline act. We are well, we're subverting the process this week as this is more like the thing that we're not going to talk about. Uh, but Norwich City did draw nil nil with Preston at Carrow Road at the weekend. Uh, it was the second most possession they've had in the game this season, and they no longer have the worst defence in the Championship. So that's good, isn't it? Um, that's sort of where the positives end, though. Um, and you have to feel like the real winners were the people who decided to get their Christmas shopping done early. And um, Dan, I'm I'm going to kind of just open the floor to you. What? What were your main takeaways, if there were any, from from Saturday's game? Uh, well, as you just sort of alluded to there, I suppose looking on quite enviously at those empty seats and thinking, <laughs> yeah, that man, they've made a, they've made a better decision than I have here. Um, uh, and it was, <clears throat> which is quite worrying actually, the number of empty seats. And it was interesting reading Connor Southwell's piece from earlier, where he's pointed out starting fifty one home matches since the pandemic. We've won only 16 of those and, and lost 27. So I guess on those laws of averages, getting a, a draw is, is a decent result over the last couple of years. Um, it was tedious, wasn't it? It was essentially 90 minutes of Norwich having the ball, passing it out wide, booming across into the uh, Preston's box and Preston just headering it away again. Um, we didn't really want to play centrally, it seemed. even you know, And when we did play centrally, it led to sort of two of our best chances and as bored as I was at, at the time actually in retrospect maybe maybe we were a little bit better than I sort of gave us credit for we did carve out some very good chances Arnell should have scored earlier on Duffy with a header and obviously Gibbs's chance as well uh, and Fasnacht first half uh, against a team that were pretty determined to come to Carrow Road and and come away with a nil-nil it seemed so in retrospect, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as I kind of thought it was at the time and certainly a better performance than our win over QPR in the previous home game. But that same old problem of sort of lack of creativity through the middle, despite having, you know, one of the best central midfielders in the championship in Gabriel Sara and Nunes playing very well, you know, although he was probably gifted the space by the Preston midfielders to play very well. Despite that, we're still really struggling uh, for creativity in those central areas. Yeah, I mean... I sort of think now when we've got a podcast on Monday, oh God, there's nothing to talk about. I mean, at least I don't know what's better, like throwing away a two goal lead at home to Leeds when at least there were some talking points to um, Saturday when I agree we weren't that bad, but there was just nothing really in the game. Um, Craig, Dan touched on the fact that Preston came for a point. I mean, I, I can't remember the last team that showed such little intent to do anything other than grind out a nil-nil. So, yeah, was the main issue the one that Dan alluded to, that just we didn't have that bit of guile that we needed to open them up and and, and kind of create that key moment? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, Wagner said before the match that we might have to give up the entertainment factor in order to grind out some results, and he certainly delivered on the lack of entertainment. Um and, I mean, it seems quite bizarre in a game where you had McLean at centre-back, you had two fairly attacking midfielders in central midfield, two wingers, two strikers, and just a complete lack of attacking instinct. I compared it afterwards to the Championship's version of a World Cup third-place playoff where you had two teams who didn't seem to want to be there, two teams who didn't really seem to want to win, but they also did, really didn't want to lose. Um I read a statistic after the game that was, I think it was 36 crosses into the box. And I think we know at the best of times that crosses don't lead to too many goals. And we didn't really seem to have any other ideas. Um, Sara and Nunez, I thought, looked all right. Nunez actually looked quite tidy. McLean played some brilliant balls. But again, we just didn't really create much. And I think 
the fact our two wingers are badly out of form sort of quite showed. Um, I think they're lacking confidence. They're lacking a bit of a spark. And it doesn't seem like the two of them are going to get that anytime soon, um, whether you're fans of, of their work or not. Yeah, uh, but do continue to to play uh, nice, nice and regularly. Uh, they are getting chances. Um, I mean, I, I think the big chance and probably the one thing I remember about the game. Um, you know, it, obviously they say you want your your chances to fall to your centre forwards, and uh, luckily that's exactly what happened with us. As the, it, it dropped for Liam Gibbs. Um, I mean. Dan, I know we've sort of talked about this, but that was Gibbs's 50th game for Norwich City. Um, one goal, no assists. I mean, I don't want to knock the guy, but I, I'd struggle. Maybe it's an indictment of where we are as a squad right now, um, but because there were no other strikes on the bench. But to me, when you've got Sarah on the pit, you have, you know, and he's clearly our best player at, when it comes to creating things, or has been this season. Surely put him where he's most effective, and it just seemed with him that deep and Gibbs kind of in a in a, a sort of second striker role. It, I, I can't really understand why the two weren't swapped around. I don't know if you felt that. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's interesting that Gibbs has now played essentially as the nine and the ten up top as well, yes. but hasn't played as you know a central midfielder or a you know a six or an eight uh, at all this season. I don't think anyway, and it would make it does seem to make sense maybe to either drop Gibbs back into midfield in a 4-3-3. So you've got Gibbs and that frees up Nunes and Sarah or McLean and Sarah to um, get further up the pitch. And what you're really sacrificing, what you're sacrificing in that is you're not, you're not playing Barnes as your second striker or you're not playing Gibbs as your second striker. Well, they've not been creative and you, but, and in that system, you still get to use, which Wagner likes is your wide men uh, with a you know with a striker up top and two wide forwards as well. So it is in odd that he hasn't tried it, um, and it feels that Gibbs has got that sort of up and down ability that you need from a, a central midfielder, and you feel like maybe he needs to develop in that role as well. Um, it's just it's just a bit of a mess, isn't it? Because we're so reliant on wingers, and I did I did at least five minutes of research earlier. Um, and so we've got we are an unusually reliant as a team uh on wingers you know you don't get many teams in the last sort of five six seven years that are relying on wingers as as we are and yet between them in the championship this season they've um they've uh, achieved three assists that's Mm -hmm. one each for Roe, Onel and Pajeta none for Fasnacht which for a team that is so sort of uniquely reliant on wingers not just for width but for dropping into midfield as well is is pretty pathetic actually and makes you wonder why we're sort of 20 games in the season and we're still relying on them on on them so heavily and they've got 10 goals which is you know a pretty good return but then you realize that seven of those were from one of them uh johnny Rowe, um and three of them from fastnacht uh, as well that it's just not a good enough to return to justify sticking to the same system I don't think and stick into the same way of trying to create goals because it's sort of it's just not working and you know the, the the squad is muddled we don't have a number 10 how how nice would it have been to have brought on a sort of uh, an Emmy or a Wes uh, or even a Dow rather than bringing on Gibbs into that role on on Saturday and we don't have defensive midfielders so there's very little you can do to get to get it sort of a more creative system in there but one of them surely is playing a sort of a holding midfielder with with uh, Sarah and another attacking midfielder like McLean um, or Nunes. Yeah, it does. It does seem like that, you know, we're, we're just trying the same thing over and over and it, it's it's just not working. Um, I mean, on the point on wingers as well, uh, I, I don't know how bad Carlos um, Sainz, Borja Sainz, Carlos Sainz is an F1 driver. Um, I don't know how bad Borja Sainz must look in uh, in training. Maybe he does look as bad as Carlos Sainz would and, you know, that's why Wagner's not playing him. Um, but yeah, it seems baffling to me that he hasn't got a start yet, considering the the lack of output that we had have had this season from the two wingers who who have been on the pitch. Um, uh, so, on, and Dad. just on on Onel, on like just Onel's got a lot of stick and sort of rightly so, really. And that chance, and everyone remembers Gibbs's miss from Saturday. That's the one thing the game would be remembered for, if at all. But Onel's first half chance is almost as sort of good as that, I think. And 
because he makes a decision quite early on not to cut further inside, he makes a chance more difficult for himself than he should do. And then he sort of shoots with his strong foot, like Wes used to shoot with his uh, weaker foot, and uh, and the keeper makes a simple save. And I just and that sort of level of output we've seen from Anel for far too long now. So it is absolutely, it's baffling. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've I've seen that him in that position so many times now that I just sort of thought, well, at least he, at least he got it on target. You know, it was a kind of a three on two situation. Wasn't it? But, ah, he tested the goalkeeper, you know, fair play. But yeah, you're right. Those chances don't come around that often when you're playing a team that's, that's got to kind of put a back five out. So you've got to take them mm. um, in, in sort of in other square peg round hole news, Craig, um, Kenny at centre back. Um, I mean, Four points, one goal conceded. So the the output has kind of, like, you know, the, the end results have not been that bad. But um, what what have you made of that so far? Um, I mean, I think against teams like Preston, it kind of works when you maybe don't expect to do a whole lot of actual defending. They maybe don't have a forward who's actually going to challenge him airily. And like Wagner said, he, he wants that left-footed player to be able to play up from the back. So I think in, in ways it works, it's on paper, bizarre. I mean, he's not even really a defensive midfielder. He's certainly not a, a six in um, the type I think a lot of Norwich fans have been craving for. So on paper, absolutely bizarre. And yet against Preston, it kind of worked. But I think if you put him there against uh, an Ipswich or anyone really in the top half who's on form, I think you struggle. Um, you got to feel bad for Danny Bart. I mean, we brought him, like, if, if he isn't fancied by, by Wagner, why did we bring him in? Why, I mean, why were we supposedly tracking him all summer? I get that it makes sense from a, a financial point of view, but if you're not going to play him, then it doesn't. Um, and I think all you're doing probably is hurting his confidence. You're not letting him have a run of games that he probably needs. So then if you bring him in against Ipswich, when realistically we'll need him at the back instead of Kenny, I think Ipswich would probably tear us apart quite easily if Kenny was at the back um, and you then bring Danny Bart in from the cold again I think he's lacking in confidence he's lacking in match fitness um, and you really start to struggle so I think for these games okay yes it maybe worked he certainly helped us creatively with the little we did create um, but I would really worry about what we then do against a, a much better side I mean I, I find that Danny Bart transfer slightly baffling actually because it seems like he was never really wanted by Wagner he's what is he 32 33 so and would have presumably I mean unless Sunderland thought well he's at an age now where we need to shift him but he was their player of the year last year and realistically you know if he can't get in now when we're literally missing arguably our two first choice centre-backs when is he ever going to get in so um, yeah I, I can't see much for future for him here I guess it's, um, I suppose it's the age-old problem of him being right-footed and Gibson mm. is our only left-footed centre-back. Mm. You, just, you don't know, he was bought in quite late when we got rid of, when we sold on with Bamadeli and you don't know if we maybe had a nice long list of left-footed centre-backs that we and we just left it too late to bring them in, which is, you know, bad long-term planning, obviously. Um, and we had, and we ended up with the next one on the list who was a, who was a right-footed player, but I mean, to be fair to Wagner, uh, as you say, it sounds it seems like he was sort of fo- foisted on him. Bath was, mm. and if that and he was poor in in possession against QPR. I mean, really poor. So you can understand why he's gone for for Kenny McLean. And I and I, I, cre- I sort of agree with uh, Craig in terms of uh, I worry about it. Um, against a better team, but then I worry about the whole team against better teams. <laughs> it does seem like we're plodding along, might get a win against mid-table teams and teams lower down the uh, down the table, but we're probably going to be beaten by the next good team that come and play us. That's kind of how it feels at the moment. We've kind of got a little bit more robust over the last five games, but um, uh, but the one defeat came against, you know, a team that was in the Premier League two seasons ago. It came against the first decent team we're playing. I would be more confident of Kenny playing at left centre-back if, once again, we had a holding midfielder ahead of him <laughs> as well, which, of course, we don't do. So it's it's just all these square holes and round pegs are kind of forced on uh, Wagner in a way because the squad is so unbalanced. And yet it is kind of the unbalanced squad that he wanted with lots and lots of uh, wingers and no number tens and sort of ball playing 
midfielders rather than any ball-winning midfielders. Yeah, I mean, I think if Omar was here, we'd be in the same situation. I think that's the bizarre thing. Whether he brought in Danny Bart or whether we kept Omar if Gibson got injured, we're still stuck mm. without a left footer. He still might be putting Kenny McLean in because he wants a left footer. So why wasn't that prioritised over a different position and bringing someone else in? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like they had a whole summer to sort this out, right? Uh, you know, who, who could have seen it coming? I mean, do you ever get the feeling, Dan, that we just end up, just because we're on talking every couple of weeks, just repeating ourselves so often? We need a defensive <laughs> midfielder. We don't have enough centre-backs. It just feels like the same thing's coming. Oh, no, I mean, we've got enough centre-backs. Oh, just, yeah, sorry, you do have enough. Uh, this now we've same. moved on to just having not enough left-footed centre-backs. That's, that's <laughs> the problem. You know, and we're not the only club that... that that suffers from it. There's a reason why Luke Shaw's playing centre back for Manchester United at the moment. You know, it does left centre back, side footed centre backs are a pretty rare breed. Um, and hopefully it's pretty high on the list of Ben Napper to identify when we can bring in. Yeah. And and in fairness to Kenny McLean, um, as he sort of does wherever he plays on the pitch, and I think he has now played, he started in a kind of well, centre back, left back defence midfield and in a number 10 role uh, but wherever he you put him he does uh, he looked pretty you know you you wouldn't have said oh there's a centre midfielder playing at centre back and he is able to carry the ball out from deep very well which in, in that game at least uh was an asset I thought but um as you yeah and Onel's chance and Gibbs's Gibbs's chance came from Kenny doing yep. that as well yeah, and indeed the the pass for the winner against Bristol City, that's not a pass that Danny Barth would have been able to play, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> um, which is maybe why David Wagner was uh, was on the pitch. That was uh, that was one in the eye for, for Danny. Um, it, was there anything else that we haven't covered um, from that game? Um, I sort of feel like... I mean, the, uh, I did quite enjoy the snake pit singing to the Barkley where's your drummer gone? I thought it, <laughs> if there's nothing else, we might as well just goad each other into uh, into life here. Um, it, um, I suppose, yeah, we touched on it. Nunes was good, I thought, in his natural role as well. He's not a 10. He is someone who likes to play a bit deeper. He was afforded an awful lot of space by Preston, but he also looks, his legs look bigger. His calves and thighs look like they've uh, grown to English Championship standards now and he looked a bit more physical and he won the ball back quite a lot as well yeah. uh, which is good to see it'd be nice to nice nice to have a chilean and a brazilian central midfield partnership if you just stick another central midfielder in there with them. <laughs> yeah who's the who's the kind of gold standard calf uh championship player then i mean i didn't know that they were you know that that particular breed of footballer was so impressive in the calf department yeah, I guess. Uh, well, I guess what you don't want is uh, little bandy legs, do you? In the, in the championship, <laughs> which are always under the threat from uh, from cracking from any sort of crunching tackle, which I feel like Nunez did have when he when he first made an appearance for us. That's true. That's probably the reason why I never made it as a championship midfielder as well. It's my, my bandy legs. Otherwise, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess to be honest, we'll we'll just kind of seamlessly blend into things we're not going to talk about because one of the players I did want to talk about but not talk about I, don't, I get very confused with this is um is Adam Eder and that kind of goes back to Bristol City as well because we haven't done one since then I thought he looked very sharp um on Saturday well he looked sharp on Saturday even if you know he wasn't really able to get any, get any great chances but um kind of the same with Huang really um it, you know in the absence of Barnes and Sargent Huang has kind of stepped up and I think Eder I don't know, he looks like if we give him the service, he he could go on a bit of a run. I don't know if I'm projecting a bit here, Craig. Um, but, you know, it's certainly as sharp as he's looked in a while to me. And obviously he took his goal brilliantly the other week. Yeah, I mean, he continues to score for Ireland whenever he plays. He seems to score for us quite often off the bench. I think he looks sharp. I think he maybe just doesn't quite suit what David Wagner wants to do. I think he's probably the fairest assessment um, and we're maybe not quite creating the right type of chances for him. But I think if he could get a couple of goals, if we could play, maybe play more to his strengths, which is what we probably should have looked to do when Sargent got injured anyway. We maybe should have adapted a bit better, play towards either strengths. Um, and he could go on a run, I think, with the right bit of confidence because whenever he plays for Ireland, he seems to score whatever the opposition is so uh, there's definitely a player in there and I I can see what the board is seeing I just don't think we play to his strengths and I think he then gets unfairly criticized for that 
um, or rightly criticised because he doesn't look particularly good at times, then he'll score a goal and we'll go back. He'll, he'll score a goal off the bench. We'll go back to the next game. He'll start the game and we'll just go back to not really playing how he wants us to play or how suits him. His confidence is then affected and we're kind of in this loop with, I think, Adam either. Mm. I mean, yes, you're right. I'd forgotten it's in our interest for him to do well because he is contracted for about 15 years or something, isn't he? So uh, we yeah, we do need that return from him. Um, just quickly on a couple of the comments, uh, Jeff Mann, I suppose, just to round it up uh, on the pressing game, said Mr. Carrow had it right, left just around 30 seconds after he entered the stadium before the Preston game. Yeah, a return for, for Mr. Carrow has been a while. I don't know. If, did, did you hear that, Dan? Uh, no, I missed game? out on this. What's that, missed, what happened? Missed, uh, I think I I think I was in the toilet at this point. There's <laughs> an unnecessary detail for you. Um, <laughs> but Mr. Caro left the stadium just before the game. Oh, um, I mean, so, yeah. he, he, made, he made an appearance earlier in the season, I think, didn't he? Oh, did he? Oh, okay. I yeah. uh, wasn't. Uh, did he did he leave the stadium at that point? Or did he, I hope did he so, because I think it means there's a fire somewhere. So, <laughs> <laughs> what so if, uh, he's, if he's left the stadium? Yeah, this is uh, this. It mean, where, if he leaves the stadium, it, it means the fire is put out, uh, or okay. or it, the, there is no longer a danger. Uh, uh, I, I'm led to believe that anyway. I've, it certainly was five or six years ago. Is that the kind of thing that you need a code for? I mean, if there is a fire in the stadium, then don't they just need to be open and say, <laughs> there's a fire, everybody out? Or am I reading too much into this? I think, you know, because there's a lot of uh, a lot of catering going on on the match day, I think it's probably maybe a little minor fire somewhere in a kitchen or, oh, or okay. a smoke detector's gone off or something like that. Okay. I mean, That's they could have put people out of their misery and used it as an excuse, but... <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, just just turn the fire alarm off and we can all get out. <laughs> turn, it, turn it on, well. Um, yes, and Kevin Buller says that the Snake Pit were also singing "20 percent You're having a laugh," uh, and that was the best thing from Saturday's game, um, which I think brings us nicely on to uh, to the next topic of conversation, um, which. Uh, this is the problem with doing a podcast every two weeks it feels like a while ago now and i'm sure everybody uh, knows these details but um we basically uh labeled well we had absolutely no interest in the agm last time we did a podcast uh, because it's an agm and it would be weird but it really was actually quite spicy wasn't it um and during a 30 minute sit down with the media between um mark atanasio plus steely smith and michael Wynne jones uh, there were a few interesting remarks um so Delia said, uh, with reference to the 20% that uh, she she said, I still think we have the best supporters in the world, uh, but we have 10, 20% of wingers. Part of being on the board is living with the wingers. Um, Dan, I mean, obviously that's just one of a few comments which have been picked up by fans since the game, uh, since the game, since the meeting. Um, I mean, it doesn't really feel like being defensive and dismissive is the best way to go. What what was your reading of the way that Delia and Michael handled that the whole thing? Uh, badly, I thought. Yes. Um, in pretty stark contrast to how, how Atanasio handled it as well, who I thought spoke very well and very positively, and um, was quite interesting about the sort of uh, short term future in terms of the path being laid out about how they want to uh, recruit. Um, whereas. In con you know, I can understand it. They don't do a lot of media. A lot of most people on boards at football clubs don't do a lot of media, and they're obviously doing media at a point when there's a huge amount of uh, quite right disgruntlement about the football club. But I do, I mean, for all their experience, you'd think really they could have handled it better. And the fact they didn't handle it better suggests maybe they didn't want to handle it better, and it was a, a reflection of how they're actually feeling. Um, she's, they're both. <laughs> right, there is a good twenty percent of whinging, uh, but equally, that doesn't mean the people who are whinging are not necessarily wrong about what they're whinging about. Whinging doesn't ne uh, naturally equate to being wrong all the time. Uh, <clears throat> I was sort of disappointed with how she responded to, I think it was Connor Southwell's question about a very fair question about lack of accountability when uh, Stuart Weber. Uh, was sporting director and a family member, Zoe Weber, was on the board, and you know. The fact that Michael Wynne-Jones suggested he didn't rec even recognise that as a question yeah. and uh, Delia answered it by saying that they work really hard. Um, well, they probably do work very hard. I'm sure they do and I'm sure everyone on the board does. And in senior positions at the football club work hard, but it doesn't mean that uh, the right levels of accountability is there as well. One thing 
doesn't marry up to the other thing. And I thought it was a bit contemptuous the way she answered that. Um, it was a very fair question that a lot of people in the fan base have been asking as well. And <clears throat> local journalists are the conduit between the fans and the board and the football club. And therefore, any question that a local journalist asked should be answered in good faith. Uh, and she didn't answer it at all. Um, so that that was pretty disappointing, I think. Um, and also makes you wonder whether she'd been briefed about it and is even aware of that sort of uh, noise around um, the appointment of Zoe Webber to the board um, and whether they'd even considered it might be an issue having the wife of a sporting director on the board as well. So just asked, asked, opened up a whole lot of questions. Um, but, you know, the positive was Atanasio spoke really well and thought Ben Napper was quite interesting as well. We didn't get to hear from him, but his quotes from uh, his responses at the AGM were interesting, I thought. Yeah, Mark Atanasio, I thought, had the look of a man who was introducing you to his parents for the first time and was a little bit worried about what might come out. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think I think he sort of acquitted himself pretty well by comparison. Um, yeah, I also, I also sort of felt that the, the answer that you referred to where kind of Delia said, you have no idea of, what's, of the work that's gone into this football club in response to the, as you said, a legitimate question about um, Zoe Weber and Stuart Weber's relationship. I, I, it felt like they weren't briefed on that um, because there's absolutely no way that your comms professional is going to say that that's a good answer because, you know, I understand that they need to defend their position because they'll be aware of the criticism, even though it seemed from some of what they were saying that they weren't. Um, I'm sure they were aware that there were going to be some difficult questions. That's one of the difficult questions that was always going to come up. And um, yeah, I think, as you say, for Michael Wynne jones to say, I just don't recognise what you're talking about. Well, did, did you not know that, that, that <laughs> the two of them had a relationship? It's, <laughs> yeah, it seemed very odd. And, and you know, I, I think we're obviously taking a, a couple of a couple of the very kind of most controversial answers um, and kind of looking at them in minute detail, but those are the ones that are always going to be um, kind of have the most observation. Um, I mean, Craig, did did you have any kind of further thoughts on that? I suppose you know <laughs> the twenty percent of Winger's comment. Maybe maybe that is fair. Um, I, I think there was also talk about the um, the the kind of the atmosphere not being as good as it used to be. Do they do they have a point on that, or or is this just kind of is it sowing more division between board and fans? Um, I mean, first of all, I think by saying you've got to live with those 20% of whingers, by saying that out loud, you're not living with it. You're complaining about it. Um, I think it was ill-judged. I've always been a supporter of Delia. I like the fact we are owned by someone local, and I think there are many worse owners we can have, but that doesn't mean they're immune to criticism. Um and I think accountability and a no-blame culture are very different things. They seem to have a no-blame culture and a no-accountability culture. And I think sometimes they need to come out and just own their mistakes and, and learn from them. Um, sure, maybe some fans do moan, but I think they've got a right to. I mean, they're football supporters. They're paying very good money to be there. And you're not really watching much on the pitch. Um, sometimes it... I'm not going to say the players don't care but it, and, or it doesn't seem like a lack of effort. But I don't think there's anything to really get fans off their feet one way or the other. Um, and fans have a right to be disappointed by what they've seen. Or, And I still think that the booing is probably better than what we have seen at times this season, which is that just lack of care from the stands that they just don't think they need to boo. They don't think they need to cheer. They're just going to sit there and just try and get through the 90 minutes as best they can before they go and queue to get out the car park. Um, yeah, I don't think I can add too much more to, to what we've already said. I think everyone knows it was quite an ill-judged, there were quite a few ill-judged comments. I think what we may be seeing is, um, I think Delia maybe, I'm sure she isn't an avid reader of social media, so she maybe misses out on a lot of the comments people make. And but she still faces the challenges that come with this new social media age. She just maybe doesn't see all the criticism in the same way she would have done. 20 years ago when she would see it in the papers and she would hear it from the fans and maybe wouldn't get it in other spaces. Um, and maybe she's almost spent a little bit too much of time with Stuart Webber. I think he's obviously had a huge effect on the two of them. They're very, very close friends. They respect him a lot. And I think 
a lot of her opinions and comments almost seem like they might be his opinions and comments and if he's constantly mm -hmm. feeding these if over the last six years he's been feeding these things to the two of them they're going to believe him if they trust him as much as they say they do so I think maybe not his out maybe his outspoken nature to a certain extent and his opinions have rubbed off on the two of them a little bit yeah it did feel like the, the ghost of Stuart Webber was still kind of in the building for uh, for, for parts of that interview. Um, I suppose just to round this off, because, you know, Craig, I know you said you were supportive of Delia. I think, you know, Dan, I think you've been described on this podcast as a Delia apologist before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, I certainly um, think obviously the, the pros massively outweigh the cons. I mean, does this, will this affect, because obviously one day they're going to leave the club, um, will, will this affect their legacy at all, do you think, Dan? Uh, no, I just think it's too short-term now to affect it. I guess if their sort of uh, disgruntlement continues, then it might affect their legacy. And it'll, it'll soon be forgotten, these words, if we suddenly go on a massive run and yeah. get to the playoffs. You know, these kind of things are forgotten about when, you, when you're doing well and and magnified when you're doing badly. Um, it'll be an interesting one when they eventually do sort of step down um see how they are remembered i i remember i think of them quite fondly although when you think of it in 28 years their biggest success is essentially uh three successive seasons in the premier league um at one you know the final one of which was a relegation that's probably underachieved if you compare it to the 28 seasons prior uh to them being there but i, I don't know like we they, they saved this club um, they've done very, very good things for this club. And as Craig says, that doesn't mean they should be immune to criticism. And what I do think is that Atanasio, Atanasio has shown a sort of the future and sort of a more positive future as well, uh, where we may be able to compete a little bit easier if we do ever get promoted back to the Premier League again. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, hope, let's hope those days come around sometime soon. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is the bit where I kind of leave an awkward silence and uh, ask if there was anything that you guys wanted to cover uh, that we haven't spoken about, um, AGM or otherwise. Uh, I think Weber's done an interview with, in, in a German newspaper uh, today or yesterday, which was oh, wow, interesting. That's, okay, that's news to me. Uh, touting himself for a return to football, <laughs> which which is a bit of a bit of a shock to anyone who heard him saying that he probably wasn't going to return to football uh, after leaving Norwich City. Um, saying that he'd like to work in Germany, has worked with Germans, uh, loves the German <laughs> culture, yeah. Yeah. etc. Bigged himself up and said that uh, in his time at Norwich, he's, they've brought through 21 academy players into the first team, uh, which I can only assume, and I made a note here actually, includes uh, one minute for Jordan Thomas, one minute <laughs> for Akron Fameuo, who we'll see on Wednesday, against Sheffield Wednesday probably, yep. and... Uh, one minute for Reese McClear as well. Um, so, you know, there's uh, he has ever, he is massaging uh, his uh, very genuine achievements, but has massaged them. And he also called uh, the training ground um, a Champions League contenders training ground <laughs> as well. <laughs> we really are underachieving then. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, must be, it must be more difficult to kind of big up your own achievements in a job interview when everybody knows uh the the outcomes because surely you know like when when you're going for that interview at, i don't know uh shalka 04 or something you know they're going to turn around and go yeah but you did leave them in sort of 16th position in the championship <laughs> mate that's like, all very well having a champions league standards training ground but no good for him yeah. i mean are there mountains in germany i don't know if um yeah that... yeah they're, they're pretty uh pretty mountainous region isn't it i suppose mm. alps aren't too far away yeah uh, and as Jeffman98 has just pointed out in the comments, uh, Weber is still under Norwich, Norwich's payroll until March as oh, well. So <laughs> good. And, and fair enough that he's touting himself for other jobs. You know, yeah, he has left. But um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting, actually, that he's immediately decided that he wants to continue in football. Yeah, I think there was some doubt about that when he left. Wasn't it? Well, maybe not for him, but in terms of where, where others thought he might end up going. Um, in, in other uh, ex-employee news, um, Alex Neal has been sacked as Stoke City manager. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, all kind of went a bit peak tongue for him there. But um, I did see one or two saying, could we have him back? But, I, I mean, I, given given that Delia said that the best moment in her tenure was um, the moment when Stuart Webber said we were no longer in debt. And Alex Neal 
you know, I know he didn't go out there and spend the money, but I kind of feel like he was part of that uh, era of uh, kind of free spending. I, I would be surprised if he if he made a return, but who knows, Dan, you would know better than me. Um, well, also, I see that as well as Alex Neil being blamed by, um, and I noticed you went for the Michael ba- Bailey Alec Neil there, by the way, so he's, the hosting is obviously rubbed off on you, Steve. Uh, I, I just Ricky follow Martin's everything also, Michael does, you know. Um, Ricky Martin's also been blamed mm. at Stoke as well for a pretty disastrous, uh, according to Stoke fans, summer transfer window as well. Another ghost of Norwich's past. Well, they bought about 20 players, didn't they? Or well, not not far off it. So they had a complete overhaul. I mean, that so rarely works. I mean, I bought into it because I think on our predictions podcast at the start of this season, I had them down as dark horses for the top two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check the tape. Um, I fear that having... Uh, the two best starts in the history of the championship in first and second. It may have got away from Stoke. Um, I feel like it's got away from us, so it's probably got away from them. Um, and uh, Dean Smith looks like he could be off to Charlotte FC as well. I think news broke that he's um, the league contender for it or, um, earlier tonight. So uh, beating off competition from uh, from Frank Lampard. It's like it's uh, <laughs> 2021 all over again, only now it's in the MLS. Well, at least we know where Wagner's going to end up next then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm surprised that Kjetil Knudsen wasn't also linked. Um, but, uh, obviously, got the same uh, got the same analytics people that we have. Um, and Crew or Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup third round, we'll know by the end of tomorrow uh, whether it's going to be the Dean Ashton derby or the Jamie Curitan derby. That's about <laughs> the only links I could think of. Um, is that the best kind of draw to get, Craig? I mean, like... Uh, potentially winnable i don't know what would you prefer to have a premier league team at home to test ourselves or do we want to in a season that appear to be going nowhere just just want to get on it go on a bit of a run i'm not entirely convinced we want to test ourselves any more than we already are at the moment i think a confidence booster about against crew would be quite nice a uh, chance for a few younger players to get on the pitch after several older players have spent a lot of time on the pitch this season i wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind crew and let's not forget about Adam Forshaw as well. So some of the older players need a, a bit of game time too. Sorry, go on, Dan. Yeah, let's line up with Duffy, Bath, Barnes, Forshaw. <laughs> <laughs> FA Cup experience. It just reminded me actually of talking about the um, empty seats. What the what a what they're going to price it if it's going to be a Jez Moxie Southampton debacle when they what they priced it at twenty five quid or something. Oh, the yeah. third round of the FA Cup. Um, and how many people are actually going to turn up to that game as well? Because as as we talked about, as much as Delia might uh, worry about the 20% of whinges, I imagine she's probably more worried about the 10% of season ticket holders who don't seem to turn up every single game at the moment. So it will be interesting to see how many are there for that game. Yeah, it's got to uh, the point of the season where the most interesting thing are the ticket prices and the attendances. <laughs> you, you know we're struggling. Um, as Matthew Can we Richards throw that points... out to the comments? Maybe like, how, <laughs> how much do people think it's going to be? Yeah, um, if any... I'd say 16 quid. And if anyone gets the attendance bang on, then uh, I'll buy you uh, a chocolate orange or something. That's a, that's a promise from me. Uh, the price, maybe not so much. There's too much risk there. Uh, Matthew Richards does make the point that Chris Martin would return with Bristol Rovers. So uh, so there's something. After after Ched Evans um, returned uh, at the weekend, there's a, a bit of noughties, uh, Norwich City nostalgia, potentially. Um, right. I think we've probably talked about the things that we're not going to talk about. So uh, we've... Uh, We've, we've got a derby to preview, I think. This is almost fantasy football. Sorry, Craig, I think I cut you off there, but <laughs> we do have a derby to talk about. Um, it's another two-game week, Sheffield Wednesday on Wednesday, appropriately enough. And uh, yes, the one that's been looming large for uh, for quite some time on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, Ipswich Town at Portman Road. Only the fourth time uh, in the last 26 games that um, this century that it's, it's been on a Saturday. Um, so yeah, obviously, if, if I was a manager, we'd be saying that the next game is the most important one. But we all know it's, it's not really. Um, uh, Craig, I probably don't need to tell you, but 12 game and 14 year unbeaten run on the line here. Um, we are, I would say, pretty big underdogs, but it would be pretty bloody funny if uh, we could somehow grab a 1-0 win. Um, how how likely are we to be uh, to be laughing at the end of this one? Um, I mean, in all the games, I guess we might pull off a shock win. This is certainly the one you'd want to. And 
possibly the one we're most likely to, given the, the recent history. That being said, our recent performances don't suggest we stand much chance, and I think their recent performances suggest that they do. I think it's four wins in the last five, um, plenty of goals scored, a lot of quite entertaining football. Um, I mean, their goal difference I read earlier was plus 18, ours is minus two. They've scored nine more goals than us and conceded 11 fewer. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, if, if we start Kenny McLean at centre-back, I'm not hugely confident. And if we start Danny Bart at centre-back after several games not playing, I'm also not hugely <laughs> confident. Um, Maybe we should play them together. The two yeah. might cancel each other out. Maybe. I mean, I'm not convinced that's the way to go, really. But... <laughs> Um, I think what Ipswich have obviously done is very impressive and, and that really hurts to say. Um, in terms of their actual top goal scorers, it's not even like a whole lot different. Again, I was just looking at the, the top goal scorers earlier and you've got uh, Chaplin on eight goals, Broadhead on seven, Hurst on five. Um, I don't think ours is a whole lot different to that, but I think the difference you see is Chaplin's also got five assists, Broadhead's got two assists, Hurst has six assists. And then you go further down that list and they've just got a lot more goals from all around their team in comparison to us. Um, and although I would argue we'll have the best player on the pitch in terms of Sara, I think their overall squad depth is that much stronger. Um, and I think McKenna has built a squad that's sort of in his image and a squad who is probably performing better than the sum of their parts. I certainly don't think on paper they're a, a promotion a top two sides, even if they're a top half side, who was certainly better than, than League One, given the amount they spent um, and the players they brought in. Um, and I think you then look at our team, which is has just got that many more miles on the clock and hasn't been put together in quite the same smart, strategic fashion. Um, and you do worry. Yes, you do. Um, but where does form go uh, for a derby match, Dan? Uh, pretty much two form over the over, over the last fourteen <laughs> years. <laughs> yes, that's true. Years. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say out the window, but uh, you applied <laughs> uh, some cold. No, no. Shuts the window, shuts all the doors, <laughs> closes the blind, and stays right where it is. Form does Hermetically in, sealed, in the Derby. Um, I'm just trying to look for a positive, and yeah. um, well, so I've was I. <laughs> I've got one. Okay, uh, Ipswich only one team mm-hmm. in the Championship have conceded more home goals than Ipswich Town. That it, which is slightly balanced out by the fact Ipswich Town also have the most points at home and the most goals by quite some distance of one nine out of ten at home as well. But you know they have conceded and and also a lot and of I goals. Might, I might be wrong on this, but have we conceded more goals than anyone else away from home? If not, then I'd I'd like to <laughs> to know the team that has. Uh, uh, but... Yes, no, no, no. Good old lovely uh family club rotherham have ah. conceded one more than us on travels ah, good old family rotherham yeah. um okay so well nil, nil written all over it then really hasn't it and <laughs> i would and right now i would i would take happily take a nil nil a couple of fights maybe uh <laughs> maybe duffy getting sent off ahead butting sam morsey i don't know just as long as as long as a good fight and we get a point out of it then uh, 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 that's as happy as i can possibly expect to be from saturday's game i think Mm, yeah, but perhaps we could goad them into a red card. I mean, they basically imploded uh, last time we played them, didn't we? Although that was it was the manager getting sent off on, on that occasion. So what difference that made on the pitch? I don't know. Um, Jeff Mann, who we're quoting a lot today, uh, said <laughs> that if Sam Morsi gets a yellow card tomorrow, he's suspended for Saturday. Um, does feel slightly like clutching at straws. <laughs> but um, uh, have, they got, have they got Leicester tomorrow? Am I... Oh, is that right? Feels, feels like research I should have done. Um, uh, yeah, if anyone in the comments knows that, you, well, that is now. that's eerily similar then to when in 2018-19 when we played Leeds and uh, won at Ellen Road and then smashed Ipswich a few days later <laughs> at Arrow Road. So in a top of the table clash to a uh, to a derby within a few days. Yeah, some of the parallels uh, in reverse with seasons gone by are uh, yeah not not lost on on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Speaking of seasons gone by, shall we shall we do the fun bit and uh, talk about some of our favourite memories? Um, and yeah, if, if you do have any, uh, those who are uh, listening live, then do let us know. Um, Craig, I think we've all tried to have a bit of a think. Um, I mean, there's so many to choose from, aren't there? But um, was there one kind of that stood out for you as your um, best memory following um, 
a best derby memory following Norwich, and maybe it's one that kind of has some, some personal significance. I don't know. Um, well, the result didn't match, but Jamie Curitan's green hair was a uh, is always quite a fond memory. Uh, I struggle to look past the most recent game. Um, Daniel Farker's wink, the three 0 win, Paul Lambert being sent to the stands. Um, they were just that was just so much fun. It was such a good time to be supporting the football club. Um, it was a very entertaining game. It was an entertaining style of football. There was a lot of excitement and anticipation about what was to come. I think it put us top of the table, if I'm right. And it was a, t- a weird time where Stuart Webber could do no wrong, which uh, seems like a long time ago <laughs> right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Heady, heady days. <laughs> um, game, I remember that. The, one of my favourite things from that game is uh, after we'd cantered to a 3-0 win, basically playing in, what, third gear? And they'd had their manager, who had had enormous success at Carrow Road, sent to the stands. Luke Chambers, their captain, came out after the game and said they'd absolutely dominated. <laughs> God, they I dominated miss Luke. I miss Luke Chambers so much. Uh, he was he was box <laughs> office, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I mean that couldn't have gone. Was it? Um, I was having this conversation, I think, the other week. Who who was the Norwich um, City backroom staff member? It was Ed Wooten, wasn't it? Who um, who kind of riled. Lambert, yeah, Parker just and the ref made got it sent Chris Domagala to the uh, got gave Chris Domagala a yellow by accidentally mistake of case mistaken identity, um, because it was Ed Woodson, wasn't it? Who's now at Leeds with Daniel Parker as well. And Surely the only Eden, person. It was even O'Neill Hernandez goal at Carrow Road. Yes, yeah, which um, might not be far off the last goal he scored at Carrow. I think he may have scored <laughs> one in the Premier League, didn't he? Um, yeah, surely the only person who you could mistake uh, Chris Domagola for is Marco Stiepeman, seeing as they're pretty much the, exactly the same human. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, yeah, this is why Weber loves the Germans so much. Although Schwarzenegger's Austrian, so scratch that. And in, in, other, uh, in other fake news, um, Ipswich are at Watford tomorrow, says Matthew Richards. Oh. So. Um, add that to my um, Norwich City are on telly against Bristol City uh, gaff from last time, uh, which they, <laughs> they definitely weren't. Um, Dan, I think I know what your favourite uh, Derby Day memory is going to be, but you, you might be about to surprise me. Uh, well, the, I, yes, I think that there's a couple um, uh, showing my age that one of my first Derby Day memories is at Carrow Road, Ipswich being given a penalty uh, John Walk about to take it and then the referee changing his mind after talking to the linesman, which as a, I don't know how old I was then, like eight or nine or something, I'd never seen anything like it at a football game where a referee has given, you know, way pre-VAR days, ref has given a penalty and then uh, changes his mind. That was uh, that was absolutely glorious. Um, Grant Holt not getting sent off for hacking, was it Jack Colbeck? I yep. think for Ipswich yeah. when, um, yeah. in the second minute, should have been sent off. Goes on to score a hat-trick in a 4-1 <laughs> win. Um, but yeah, it's topped by, despite all the wins, the playoff wins, uh, the 3-0 win that we just spoke spoken about, um, the 4-1 win, the 5-1 win. In that, in that period of dominance, it, it is Tim Close's absolutely mad header in injury time at Carrow Road to sneak a point. And I think, it, and this is this says a lot about me, I think it, it is purely probably because the Ipswich fans thought for two whole minutes they've finally, finally lifted the curse and beaten Norwich only for one centre-back to put in an inch-perfect cross to another centre-back in injury time. Um, I think... I was working for the club at the time and in the press box, and that was the hu- that was the most difficult uh, difficult ten seconds to be able to contain myself when when we scored because it was not the done thing to celebrate uh, in the press box. Um, and after two two or three minutes of thinking about how on earth to plan for an Norwich's first derby defeat in ten years, um, the joy sort of just changing on a on a knife edge was uh, was just brilliant. Did you have to keep, you had to hold it together then you weren't allowed to, and did you manage to at all? There was a couple of like fist bumps and, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> a Tim Henman Wimbledon fist bump, um, pump rather, fist pump among the, you know, the uh, us guys who worked at, at the football club. But yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's just sort of the done thing not to, so uh, certainly in in England as well, uh, certainly to not go uh, crazy when your team scores at Sounds sounds riotous, uh, but no, I agree. That was, uh, yeah. I mean, what what an incredible moment. Um, and I mean, one that we haven't even mentioned it, but I think was the first Derby Day win that I can remember. Well, since I was a fan, was um, the two nil at Portman Road uh, when you know 
that inspired the, the Leon McKenzie chant. Um, two goals on debut. Uh, that was, I think, we'd, we'd kind of got off to a good start that season. And that obviously was the game that sent us top and was felt like, uh, you know, at, at that point, I'd never seen us been promoted. Obviously, you know, now it's just it's just so easy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think at, at, he and Svensson came in because... Um, I think Crouch and Huckabee had both gone back. You and Roberts, I think, might have been injured. So we literally had a new strike force for that game. Ipswich were doing well that season as well. And I didn't have much hope for us. I remember listening to it on the radio. Um, and yeah, just like that was a new experience for me. I'd, I'd never I'd never seen or known us to win a derby match. So, so that was definitely up there for me. Was that the last time we beat them when we were proper underdogs? It- Possibly, because yeah, I know that obviously in, the, in when we beat them four one and five one, we were um, had come up from League One and they'd just got loads of money apparently. But when we played them, we were pretty level pegging in terms of in the table. We beat them the uh, we beat them that year under Glenn Roder when we were really struggling at the bottom. I don't and and it, well, I suppose the, the draw um, the, yeah it doesn't really count because you said beat, but obviously that time when um, for Roder's first game when we were two 0 down at half time. And uh, Martin Taylor, I think it was it went down as an own goal, but Martin Taylor was uh, was involved. Um, uh, and but I think there was one where Lee Croft scored, which I think might have finished two nil. Oh, yeah. Maybe did Patson get the other one? I think. Um, and I suppose the only other one, actually, one that I was going to refer to as well, where we might have been slight underdogs, was um, again not a classic one, but it just sticks in the memory of um, Moritz Leitner. Um, scoring at, at Portman Road in a game where genuinely uh, had we lost that I, I, you know, I quite often come back to this I think Daniel Farker could have lost his job uh, you know it was before an international break we really weren't playing well in the first half at all against a dreadful Ipswich team um, and had we lost that one it would have been the, possibly the right time to make a change the fans would have been in absolute uproar about the performance but we kind of pulled it together in the second half Leitner scored and obviously the rest is history after that I was at that game and I walked away from it and confidently predicted that both teams would be relegated at the end of the season. <laughs> I was half right, at least. <laughs> not, now we know. It's highly wrong. Now we know where the Stoke City Dark Horses uh, prediction came that was, from. Um, that was Max Aaron's debut, wasn't it? And it was. um, someone got injured and Godfrey had to come off the bench and should have been sent off uh, within about a minute when he, he took someone out. I can't remember who it was. <laughs> so I wonder if Wagner would be, would it be as brave as... Daniel Farker, for, ex- for example, play um, uh, Fisher instead of Stacey at right back, sort of yeah. put a bit of youth in there or not. Or even Jaden Jaden Warner. Um, I mean, that might be the way to go, it, it seems, is uh, just a player laying laying one on an Ipswich player and just not getting sent off. I think, I mean, my vote would obviously be Ashley Barnes for that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just that, that might be our best hope. Um, Chris Brown says uh, the greatest derby game was... Ipswich on Norwich five and the Paul Lambert on the way to promotion. I mean, that shows how how ridiculous the the amount of choice we have here is that we haven't talked about really properly a five one win on the way to promotion. Uh, we've we've had it pretty good. Um, and I mean, Pacheco scored in that one. He's one of my weirdly one of my favourite all time lone <laughs> players. So I do remember that one quite well. Took us took us up to second or first. I can't remember now. Yeah. True, true cult hero state. Well, you score in a derby, you're you're going to be a cult hero for for life, aren't you? Um, excellent. Well, I mean, off the back of that, you know, I, I'm now feeling uh, incredibly positive, uh, and let's hope that the uh, the Tim Closer curse hasn't hasn't lifted yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll be back next week to uh, to review the whole thing, and um, maybe we'll just go back over. We haven't covered them all, so we could just go back <laughs> over some of them to cheer ourselves up potentially, if we have to. If we have to. Um, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday is happening on Wednesday as well, but you know, again, we can we can cover all of that next week. So let's um, let's check in with Kenny. Other business. Um, I have one item, um, which is obviously our our Lord and Savior Michael Bailey uh, left a message on Friday. Well, I saw it on his Instagram. I think across his social media saying. Uh, Friday, I got asked if the rumour was true that Norwich City was so annoyed I went to the 2022 AGM with a proxy. They locked me in a cupboard to tell me off so I couldn't report <laughs> on it, uh, which, you know, he hasn't told us about it. Maybe he's keeping quiet about a uh, a kind of dark and twisted night at the AGM. 
but uh, I, th- I think as of this moment, we should just assume that that happened. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't believe it because we all know that if Michael Bailey had been locked in a cupboard at an AGM, he would have immediately live streamed it. Uh, he would have produced some sort of immediate comment, uh, sorry, content from inside that cupboard. Um, and the fact that didn't happen suggests to me that, uh, unless it was out of signal, obviously, suggests to me that, uh, that Well, yeah, that we didn't had thought of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to know how, would they have forcibly kind of moved him into the cupboard or would they have lured him in there somehow? Um, I don't know, the, the promise of a new pair of headphones or something like that, you know, and then just, just pushed him in and locked the door. Uh, how do you lure a Michael Bailey in the wild into into a into a lock cupboard, <laughs> other than a new pair of headphones? <laughs> it's like it's like the classic kind of trail of food, and then somebody just, just pulling <laughs> a stick, and he's trapped under a box. You know, um, maybe there, maybe if there was a, a scoop in there, uh, he could have followed it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like the true journalist he is, and I mean, uh, I will scotch the rumor though if there is one that. Um, that's not where he's been for the first half of this season. We have seen him. Uh, we have seen him in the wild since then. Um, <laughs> going to say, it was at the AGM as well. There, would they have let him out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would have solved a lot of problems for the club if they just kept him in there. Um, I guess there may have been some legal issues to sort through, though, if that was the case. Um, anyway, we're very grateful that uh, they did uh, let him out, slash, he was never actually there in the first place. If you, if you had to be locked in a cupboard with a Norwich City player, which Norwich City player would you like to be locked in a cupboard with? Um, well, it, it would, I mean, the answer is usually it's either definitely Grant Hanley or definitely not Grant Hanley. It's, <laughs> it's definitely not Grant Hanley. Um, I mean, I feel, I feel like, um, I feel like Liam Gibbs might be a good one actually, just because he's 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 not got those Nunez calves yet. So I feel like if you're pushed for for space, um, you know, he he might be a he might he, he wouldn't take up a lot of room, is what I'm trying to say. I feel like maybe Nunez's uh, sunny positive attitude might be great for the first I don't know month or something, but then could quickly grate if you're in the if you're locked in a cupboard for for too long. Maybe that sort of. Uh, that smiley attitude he has would become a little bit annoying. I reckon Grant Hanley would be a good storyteller, actually. If you're going to be locked in a cupboard with someone for an extended period of time, you need some good stories. I mean, I've seen him in a post-match interview, and so I would maybe dispute that. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know if we were going down a Chilean miners route with uh, with Nunez there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny um, McLean and a bottle of Mad Dog, maybe? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would... Yeah, I mean... I. I, I think that's that's the winner for me. I, I, even if they unlocked it, I'd be like, a couple, couple yeah, more hours, gonna... Kenny. <laughs> um, anyway, well, uh, on that note, uh, unless we have uh, Kenny other business, um, let's just end on some positivity from uh, Owen Young, who says, um, my magic eight ball says, X Ipswich and Derby Day birthday boy Gibbs gets the winner with an OG. Oh, I didn't read the word OG. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, well, that's a shame because I don't have any other comments to pull up. Uh, <laughs> fun on that with an OG to completely ro- ruin Christmas, OTBC. Um, uh, mixed messages across the board on that one. So, uh, well, I, I got sucked in anyway. Uh, <laughs> I did see somewhere that I think there was a chant, an anti-Ipswich chant on the game at the weekend, and uh, Gibbs turned around and gave him a clap. I think I saw. Oh that yeah, something. Yeah, uh, yeah. Liam Gibbs, he hates Ipswich. Something along those lines. Yeah. Do you think uh, he's in that stage where uh, Alex Pritchard probably found himself after he turned down that move to Brighton uh, to come to Norwich City? Uh, do you yeah. think Gibbs is at that stage yet, where he kind of thinks, "Hmm, yeah. maybe I could have kept uh, stayed at my boyhood club." I did wonder if he's in the era of regret. I mean, I, I bet Kieran McKenna wouldn't play him at centre forward. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, anyway. He, he could yet be the hero, um, Kevin Buller. Let's finish on this one instead. Liam Gibbs has a big chance to become a hero Saturday. Lol. Um, <laughs> the lol, yeah, maybe maybe just not serious. But what a story it would be, actually. I think if we were going to pick one player to score the winner, it would be him. Get that get that second goal. Um, anyway. Straight, in, straight, straight into the fans to celebrate with them. Top off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yep, I, either set of fans, it wouldn't matter. Um, 
that is all for today's On the Ball, the Norwich City podcast that is off to find out which furniture store can deliver a sturdy sofa to hide behind in, ter- in time for Saturday. Uh, make sure you subscribe to On the Ball if you haven't already. It's free on your usual player. Just search On the Ball Norwich City on your preferred social platform. Ratings and reviews wherever prompted are always hugely appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with any questions, uh, you better send me a direct message on Twitter at NCFC numbers. I'm, I'm sure no one listens to that bit now. Um, a big thank you then to our guests tonight. Uh, Craig, great to have you back. Um, I hope that felt more more positive. I mean, it's a point this time as opposed to a defeat last time. So I hope that felt more positive for you. Yeah, definitely glad to come on after a draw. Um, maybe next time I'll come on, come on after a victory. Yeah, well, we're working we're working up towards that. So um, we don't know the results before the bookings are made. Uh, so we'll, we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Um, Dan, always a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Always a pleasure as well. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening, uh, whether you're listening live or listening back. Uh, as I've said, our next pod will be a post-East Anglian derby, pre-Christmas spectacular uh, next Monday, 18th of December. Uh, we haven't decided whether we'll be putting the turkey on hold to deliver one on Christmas Day. But assuming we don't, then we'll also be rounding up some of the highs and lows of 2023 in that one as well. So don't miss it. And until then, never mind the Suffolk danger. 